Amen. Thank you, band. I invite you to stand for the reading of scripture this morning, and I'll begin with prayer. God, we thank you that you are a God who talks to us, and you have spoken in the past, and you continue by your spirit to make your word relevant to us today. In these ancient words, may we find truth to ground us in who you are and who you want us to be. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And we continue our sermon series this morning in the book of Zechariah. We are on chapter 8. So if you'd like to follow along in the Red Pew Bibles or on the Bible app you like to use, or the text will be on the screen. Let us listen together to the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Zion with great zeal, and I am zealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts shall be called the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of their great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, even though it seems impossible to the remnant of this people in these days, should it also seem impossible to me, says the Lord of hosts? Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to live in Jerusalem. They shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. And then we continue to verse 20. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, the inhabitants of many cities, the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, come, Let us go to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts. In those days, ten men from nations of every language shall take hold of a Jew, grasping his garment and saying, let us go with you. For we have heard that God is with you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You can be seated. So we are continuing in the book of Zechariah. A book written to returned exiles. I identify a lot with the word exile, kind of. Not in the same way exactly, but... When people ask me where I'm from, I don't really know what to say. I have lived in seven states and two different countries. So I have a lot of moving stories. Here's one. In the year 2000, my family moved from North Dakota back to Indiana. In fact, it was back to the exact same town and exact same street we had lived, we had left for the Dakotas seven years prior, same street. You've probably seen it if you drive up to Michigan, Kennedy Avenue, Highland, Indiana. 
It is where they sell the fireworks. That's where I've lived. My family had moved away when I was 16, and now I was back, college grad, still living with my parents for a few months before I got married. But you know, stuff changes in seven years, especially when you're young. And although the streets all had the same names, and the hamburger restaurant I liked was still there, it was a totally different place. My friends were gone, and the life I'd had with them was gone too. I remember having this uneasy feeling. It's sort of like I was in an alternate universe, parallel but alternate, and and I wondered if it would ever feel like home again. I kind of wanted it to, but it seemed impossible. Imagine then how much worse it would be, impossible it would be, moving back to someplace after seven years of war. Think about that when I look at photos of Ukraine, the destruction there, like what's happened in a year and a half. And I wonder if the displaced Ukrainians will ever be able to return home. Will they ever again be able to flourish in Bakhmat or Odessa? Will Mariupol ever be rebuilt? These half-bombed-out apartment buildings and piles of rubble? I show images like this of destruction because I think, in a way, the emotions we have looking at them, and and imagine if this was a place you'd known and loved and lived in. These images might be a, a little bit what it might have felt like for the exiles returning to their homeland, not after seven years, but 70 years. Returning to a torn down temple, boarded up houses, Shadows of a life left suddenly. And in our text today, God once again addresses these returned exiles and offers them a picture of hope beyond their imagination. So I'm going to tell this story differently today because I really want you to imaginatively enter the world of the exiles. I'm using some modern metaphors to help us understand. So here's the scene. Your parents... And grandparents, maybe your parents were little, were removed from Israel, forcibly taken from their homeland, relocated to Babylon, and you were raised as a foreigner, as an exile, an alien, and you don't fit in with the culture. People, in fact, make fun of your traditions. There's biblical evidence for this. Sing us one of your songs of Zion. This wasn't because this was a favorite song. They wanted to make fun. They laugh at you. Your parents and grandparents, they speak with accents, and you feel like a second-class citizen, but the fact is, is you're not even a citizen. But you do have hope. At night, your father tells you stories his father told him about the, the view of the mountains from the roof of their house. He describes the temple in Jerusalem and what it's like to go there on the holy days and how it feels to be so close to God. And you look forward to going there your whole life. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. And then one day, it happens. You and your tribe have permission to go back to the homeland. 
Your parents have probably died. Your grandparents have definitely died. But you make your way back to your family's old street, Kennedy Avenue or whatever it's called, and you think, this is going to be great. But you get there, and it is not great. The glory, the joy that your grandfather has described, it is all gone. All the houses on Kennedy Avenue are boarded up. There are potholes in the road. The hamburger restaurant only sells baked beans now, and the shops have expired tens of generic dog food. That's all. The ground is cracked because there is a drought. There was a drought. And the only thing that seems to grow is dandelions and the temple. This place of glory built to experience the presence of God, it's been destroyed. The physical landscape, it matches the spiritual landscape, and the fit is off. And you think, this is, this is the wrong alternate universe. Take me back in time. Get me to the right Jerusalem. Get me to my home. Get me to the place where God actually is. And then, for 20 years... You and your fellow exiles push through to build up the city, to fortify the walls, to rebuild homes, and most importantly, to rebuild the holy temple in hopes that one day, maybe one day, God will return and dwell with his people. God has promised, way back, chapter 1 of Zechariah, return to me and I will return to you. And what we see happening in Zechariah 8 is how God is going to do this. In the first eight verses, there are five oracles spoken to the prophet Zechariah, who then proclaims them to the people. We can tell they're oracles because God begins speaking, the Lord of hosts. And then each oracle is announced by a different, the Lord of hosts. Now, I know we all vary with the amount of Bible we've read in our life. Some of us who've read the Bible our whole life, we get to the prophets and like the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, blah, 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 the Lord of hosts. Okay. No. <laughs> uh, it, it happens a lot. But the, the repetition is important. It tells us something's important going on in the text. When you see the Lord of hosts in scripture, I want you to think God of the angel armies. Can you see that has a lot more meaning to it, right? Another translator calls, calls it Yahweh armies. This is really important in the text here. It is repeated seven times in the first eight verses. And if we read all of Zechariah chapter 8, 18 times. God of the angel armies. God of the angel armies. God of the angel armies. There's power in this, right? You hear this and you think, oh, what's, what's God of the angel armies going to do? He's going to go to battle right? He's going to tighten his helmet strap. He's going to polish his sword. He is going to lead a battalion of angelic soldiers, but no. Instead, God is talking about his feelings. Helmet off, sword down, all feelings. And this is what he says. He starts off, I'm zealous for Zion. The word zealous is a challenging word. It can be translated jealous which can have negative connotations, don't have negative connotations. Another way is deeply concerned. It is a strong word for strong feelings, and God has feelings for his people in Jerusalem. He is so zealous. He is, he's burning. And in the word wrath, there's this Hebrew understanding that there's heat. There's heat 
in the word for wrath. And, and God is repeating himself over and over here. He's zealous, he's zealous, he's zealous. It's kind of like a lover who finds his unfaithful beloved in the arms of another man. And he takes her by the shoulders, firmly but gently, and he says, you don't know how much I love you. It should be me you want. Only me, only me. And this is a picture of God's love, and he has loved his people so much, and they have been so unfaithful. This is why they were exiled. Like an unfaithful spouse, they have left and left and left this God of the angel armies for false gods who don't do anything. But God of the angel armies has not turned his back on them. Instead, he is zealous, and his zeal motivates his action, which is what we see in the next oracle. God acts. God returns to this alternate universe, and he announces his presence. God returns to the holy city, and he's going to dwell in the middle of it. And he's going to give the city a new name, City of Faithfulness. That's ironic. (laughs) He is renaming this unfaithful city faithful. This lover that was found in the arms of someone else in these other gods is now permeated by God and has a new identity completely opposite her old one. From unfaithful to faithful, from empty to full of God's presence, God has renamed her and now he moves in. And then the God of the angel armies describes what this new city is like. We should be on the edge of our seat now. What is the new city going to be like, right? We just got a big picture. Faithful city, holy mountain. God is there, but now we're going to hear the details. We wonder, what is the city like? Are you ready? Here's what the city's like. Here's the city plan. There is squares all around town. There's plazas with benches, and the senior citizens walk to these benches with their canes, and they sit down, and they watch the boys and girls play and laugh. This is the city. Be amazed. Be very amazed. This is what the God of the angel armies does. He makes parks for kids. This is key. He doesn't exercise his might through destruction. He doesn't build the temple taller and golder than ever. ever. He makes a park. Think about those 70 years of exile and the 20 years since the people have returned. Think about times of war and oppression. Who is most likely to die? Children and the elderly. But here in these plazas God makes, they flourish. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. It is so simple. It is so elegant in the text, and you will miss it if you're not paying attention. It's sort of like beautiful landscaping. It just blends in. You you have to stop the car and get out and walk among it. It's so easy to miss this because it can sound so normal. It can sound so everyday, but that's exactly the point. So God announces the city plans, And then he looks at the people's faces, and and they're like, what? (laughs) They're kind of flummoxed. What? This is impossible. What, God? What did you do with all the rubble? And how can there be old people, God? They died back in captivity. And and there's hardly any children. Our infant mortality rate is real high, and we're just starting to train new doctors. I mean, this is impossible. 
And the God of the angel army says, next oracle, to you, you remnant, you leftover people. I'm, this is my paraphrase I'm going to read. To you, you leftover people with your cans of baked beans and your sad boarded up windows. To you, it seems impossible, but not to me. Not to me, the God of the angel armies. He says it twice in this, that he's the God of the angel armies, because we keep forgetting his power. <laughs> we need to be reminded of it. Of course, of course, God can rename a city. Of course, God can go down and live in the city, but a safe park for seniors and children? <laughs> that seems unlikely. Seems like someone has been watching too much of the opening credits of The Sound of Music. It, it seems like someone went to an art museum and just looked at the Italian cityscapes for too long. Someone is too hopeful and not realistic enough. I mean, because realistically, God, what these people need is a temporary shelter and a food truck. But a park? That doesn't help the GDP. That's impossible. But it's not impossible for the God of the angel armies. It's not impossible for him because this is the action of God. He rescues his people from the east and the west, and he leads them to dwell in the middle of Jerusalem, which, note, that's the middle of Jerusalem is where God dwells. It's the same place. And they belong to him and he to them. And this is a new identity. And it is all possible because this is the God of the angel armies we're talking about. The God who acts surprising and unconventional, who takes off his helmet, who proclaims his passionate zeal, who makes a park for kids. And it's easy for him because that's his character. You think it's hard? God says. It sounds hard for you, but it's not hard for me. Not at all. It seems impossible to you. It's not impossible to me. I like how God talks here. Um, you, you probably know this, but I have very limited powers. I, I am really not athletic. I never was. I can't even do a cartwheel. I couldn't when I was a kid. Here's one power I have. I can do this awesome thing in the pool if I'm swimming with my family, where I can fill my hand with water and squirt water out with my hand for like eight feet and hit people. That's my power. Um, my, actually, my spiritual director says that I'm very good at thinking deeply and feeling deeply at the same time. That is, that is a good power I have. Um, maybe another power I have is that I'm tall. I was born, well, I wasn't born tall. I grew tall. And um, I didn't do anything to be tall. I just am tall. God made me this way. And, and one thing I like about being tall is that sometimes if I'm at the grocery store, and it's one like Pete's that has tall shelves. I'll see someone who can't reach what they're trying to get. And I'll say, would you like me to get that for you? And they say, yes. And I get it for them. And they're like, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, it, it, it might be impossible to you, but it's not impossible to me. <laughs> right? It, I didn't do anything amazing. That's not amazing for me. That's just how I am. Right? And that's how it is for God, ex except way more so. God of the angel armies. Rebuilding a city with parks is normal to God. But it should be amazing to the people, and it is amazing to me too. Now, I, I know some of you better than others, but I know some of us are not living in the country in which we were born. Maybe not the state we're born, right? We've moved around, some of us. Some of us stayed in the same place. 
But the truth is, is that none of us are exiles in the sense that the original recipients of Zechariah are. But I, I would argue that I think that all of us can, no matter where we were born and where we live now, feel sometimes a sense of homelessness or homesickness. My good friend Jo, who has lived in at least four countries, she wrote a book about her own search for home. I'd recommend it, Home, The Quest to Belong. And Jo writes, I think a lot of us suffer from chronic low-grade homesickness, purely and simply, because we are not quite sure where home is, but we do know we're not there. So whether you're living in a different country or a different state than the one you were born in, or, or even if you don't know what to say when someone says, where are you from? And you're like, well, seven states, two countries. <laughs> or if you're lucky enough to have lived in the same zip code your entire life, and maybe you don't count that lucky, but I think all of us at times can feel a deep sense of homesickness, literal or spiritual. I mean, Think about that sense you might have sometimes of not being at home even when you've returned to your house. Maybe it's because of a struggling relationship, a struggling marriage, or a family member or a friendship in which you've taken paths that go in separate directions. Or maybe for students, college students, um, you, you come home to your parents' house after a few years in college and, and you're like, well, is this home still? I mean, things aren't what they were, or maybe you aren't what you were, or your parents have changed, or they haven't changed. And then there's the homesickness brought about by death, or sickness. A family member, for instance, has died, and, and your home was with them, and they're not there anymore. This could be a spouse or a parent. Fourteen years ago, when my maternal grandmother died, my grandfather had already died. My mom said, Joy, I'm an orphan now. We can all feel homesick at any age. Even in our 60s, 70s, teens, all of us can feel homesickness. This, this feeling can also come from vocational challenges. Maybe you feel trapped vocationally. Like, your job is leading nowhere. You wonder, what good am I doing? Or you're just overwhelmed with this sort of Sisyphusian responsibilities, pushing that rock up the hill just to let it roll down again. Or maybe you're recently retired, and, and that work home that you loved is gone. Or, or maybe you're, you're a young adult trying to find the, the career that's a good fit, and people keep asking you about what you want to do, and you think, next time someone asks me... It's all homesickness. It can also come from inside. Homesickness can come from our own emotional or mental situation. We could be rooted in a home, rooted in a neighborhood, but still live with a, a deep sense of unease. Maybe you even feel alienated from your own self, tortured by cynicism or gloom in your head. And you know what? You can't run away from that because it's inside you. And maybe you're like, well, Pastor Joy, I don't really feel that homesick. But you might identify with the language in the text of being a remnant people, feeling left over or unneeded or unnecessary. Would they miss me if I left, you wonder? 
And I think these are all examples of ways we might in some way identify with the exiled remnant people in Zechariah 8. And I want to be clear, I don't think we necessarily have these feelings because we're doing something wrong. I firmly believe it's because we're human and we have deep sense of longing for things to be made right, to be at home. And my friends, we're still arriving. The journey to the finalized glory of God is not yet over. We're still waiting for that park Zachariah promised about. We're still standing in the, in the midst of the rubble of our disappointment for ourselves or other people. The shame, these empty cans of baked beans and the boarded up windows, it's a lie to say otherwise. We have to name it. This is part of spiritual maturity. There's a story in the Gospels of Jesus sharing a last meal with his disciples before he was crucified. And, and Jesus talked about his father's house, where there was plenty of room for all of them. This text and, and many other texts point us to a firm, firm hope that one day God will renew the earth. God will make things right. That there will be a heavenly garden city with plazas. <laughs> and that once again, God will dwell among his people, just like Jesus said here. My friend Joe writes about this. There will be no exile or separation, no earthquakes or landslides destroying houses, no bereavement, no redundancies, firings, or unemployment, no culture shock, no language barriers, no homesickness. Our search for a place to belong will be over. So in June, I was at my brother-in-law's wedding. It was a great celebration. I've mentioned it recently. Um, there was this poignant moment that I might have been the only one who saw. There was a great live band, and the band was playing, some, some of you might know this song, the Edward Sharp and Magnetic Zero song, Home. Home, home, you know that song? Duh. Home is wherever I'm with you. So they were playing this song. And my brother-in-law, who's pretty taciturn, saw him dancing with his new bride, and he was singing this song to her. Home is wherever I'm with you. And I, I really think that moment kind of summarizes Zechariah 8 for us. Because here God is saying, I love you. Home is wherever I'm with you. And this is what I'm going to do to make it happen. And in the text, this news gets out. News gets out that God is with his people, and it is compelling to others. And people notice, and they want to go with them because God is with them. And notice, it's not the rebuilt city. It's the presence of God that compels people to join them. And this might feel impossible, but the God of the angel armies says, is it impossible in my eyes? It's not. This is a low shelf for God. God's arms are infinitely long. Because Jesus came and he sent the spirit and the presence of God can be experienced anywhere we choose to turn to God. Sometimes it's overwhelming. Sometimes you just have a thread of hope. But God is dwelling in and among his people and they with them. 
God comes down to where we are, whether it is literally or metaphorically a blasted down city or a crumbling family life or that empty seat at the table or maybe our anxious minds, God comes down and there he makes a fantastic park and God wants kids to play in it and I think he wants some adults to play in it too. And our God, the God of the angel armies, he stands there, helmet off, sword down, watching, singing. Home is wherever I'm with you. We're going to have a a time in response to think about some of these questions and the message today. Let it sink deep in your heart. So I invite you to prayerfully meditate on your own experience. I have some paper and pencils in the front row that I've asked some ushers to help pass out. So if you have a journal that you like to write in or you'd like a piece of paper, this is for you. This is not for anyone else to read unless you want to share it. Sometimes journaling our thoughts can really help us spiritually, I think. So I invite you to prayerfully meditate on your own experience. Where is my longing for home? Is it relational? Is it geographic? Is it vocational? Is it emotional or spiritual? And then how has God spoken to you through Zechariah 8 today? And then this bonus question. You don't have to answer this one. But what would you like to ask God of the angel armies? What's your question for God? We're going to take some time. The band will play. And then we'll pray together and sing our closing song. So, Lord, be with us as we meditate. Amen.
if you haven't finished, I encourage you to take some time today to finish answering these questions, meditating prayerfully on them. I invite you to stand. We're going to close with a prayer partially from the pen of St. Augustine, who struggled with a restless longing for much of his life before he met Christ. Let us pray this prayer today. I invite you. Almighty God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. So lead us by your spirit that in this life we may live to your glory and in the life to come enjoy you forever through Jesus Christ our Lord who is alive with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I invite you to sing our closing song.